Welcome to Talking Religion, a podcast designed to offer students a safe space to discuss religious traditions and backgrounds. Today I'm having a discussion with Leila Yashaya, a freshman at the University of Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in today and I hope you enjoy. I'm here with my special guest, Leila Yashaya. Hello. And we'll be having a very great conversation. So yes, let's go. Let's go. How would you define your religious identity? My religious identity, I would personally say I'm an agnostic. Mm-hmm. I do practice some religious practices, but it's purely from like a like a cultural standpoint mm-hmm. i don't really practice them from the standpoint of like god so to speak yeah and what is the religion that you semi-practice uh so my mom was raised methodist and my dad was raised kind of jewish kind of like secularly mm-hmm. um and so we celebrated easter and christmas and then we celebrated mm-hmm. hanukkah Rosh Hashanah, and yom kippur nice and, and Passover. nice did you wanted to pursue any of those religions at all, or have you always just kind of had like a, just not into it really? It was it was complicated for me because my mom was like, she was not religious but spiritual, um, like air quotes, um, and then my dad he was always like we practiced the like traditional Jewish things, um, but he was still very critical a lot of like the aspects of like modern Judaism, mm-hmm. and so and I also feel like my parents disagreed a lot about god and about different Mm -hmm. parts of religion so i feel like there is kind of a tacit agreement to not like really impose anything on me Um, that being said i did spend a lot of time in like churches um you know i would sometimes go to my um my mom's side of the family there they had a went to a baptist church in north carolina and when i'd visit them i'd go there but my mom also um was singing with a gospel choir in north minneapolis um for a few years when i was little so i'd go to north side and hang out at that church for a while that's cool um, but i never was really like actively listening to the sermons i was kind yeah. of in my own world <laughs> yeah real i understand that and so would you say like you you were kind of said this before but your parents didn't really raise you religious they just yeah. both had their own practices and you kind of just floated between the two yeah so this kind of goes into my next question like even though you define yourself as agnostic you don't practice a religion do you think that like religions have informed your own morals and values today like as a person it's pretty complex it's it's a a lot to to (laughs) digest um i feel like we knew another jewish family that um came that they they live in canada now but they came from israel Mm -hmm. um and i remember something that um this uh his name is um toto or his name is itai but we call him toto Mm -hmm. but he said something in like elementary school it's always like stuck with me he was and someone was like do you believe in god he was like no and he's like who do you believe in bah because he played (laughs) cello a lot oh (laughs) so you know and so i don't know i feel like the more i was also like raised on neil degrasse tyson so i was like Uh, also like hypercritical of like religion yeah yep Because, like, when you have, like, two very different, like, aspects about, like, the afterlife, um, about whether God exists, about, like, like, what reality is, it's, I kind of have come to the conclusion that, like, of all the times I've prayed in my life, 
um, because or not because of my parents, I've not gotten any like direct kind of response from prayer Mm -hmm. other than like my own therapeutic thing and so the less I believe in prayer the less I feel like it helps me Mm -hmm. um interesting this is kind of like personal but like when you have prayer prayed have you like prayed to like your own version of a god okay yeah so not really like christian like methodist god or like jewish god anything like that just kind of like your own belief of it it's just kind of like to, to whoever, whoever. Or yeah. whatever is out there. <laughs> Whatever's up there. Creator of the universe or whatever yeah. you did. Yeah, I get that. Um, but I've kind of come to like, if I can't, if I can't see it with my own eyes and I can't prove it yeah. and it, there's nothing overwhelmingly trying to reveal itself to me, there's nothing productive or helpful that I can do from the framework of believing in God. So that's kind of like how I got to the point of like being agnostic. Yeah. Not that I'm like actively questioning it as much, but it's kind of like I don't really have any power mm-hmm. to like to know mm-hmm. and so I don't care yeah. that much. Yeah, true. Would you ever see yourself or have you ever considered yourself like embracing the practices of a religion? I mean, there's a lot of different religions that um like there I there for, for a short while I was thinking about Baha'i. Mm, um Yeah. Because I feel like the the concept of religions that were brought up with is like Abrahamic religions plus Hinduism. Yeah. Um. I've also been like considering like Buddhism yeah, as like yeah. a lot of them are like not like ways of strictly conducting yourself to like appeal to mm-hmm. some like anthropomorphic higher figure, but ways to just conduct yourself for just like well being. Mm-hmm. Um. But I haven't like learned enough about those religions yet, and I honestly honestly don't really have the time, the to, time. T- to devote mm-hmm. myself like that. Yeah. And so I feel like if I did have the time, I'd, I'd rather, like, you know, read books about it and stuff. As I continue to learn about religion, it becomes more apparent how people's identities are influenced by their religious history, even if they don't still practice that religion today. In this next segment, Layla and I dive into her family's amazing story of origin and discuss the history of Judaism. Well, Judaism is interesting because it arose out of, essentially out of a tribe mm-hmm. and then out of a religious practice and the conservation of religious practice. Mm-hmm. But because of like the really localized communities that were like isolated across the world, yeah, kind of half of Judaism became not just a... Um, not just a yeah, yeah not, not just a religious religion. identity, but also a cultural identity yeah. and a political identity. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there are a lot of like hyper like we think about Jews and we think oh, there's the Brooklyn Jews and the Israeli Jews. Layla goes on to describe how Jews are spread far and wide across the globe. There are Jews living in pockets of Europe, Morocco, Algeria, Ethiopia, India, Kaifeng, China, in the Henan province. There's a Jewish autonomous oblast in far eastern Russia, whose primary language is Yiddish, and there is a permanent Jewish seat in the Iranian parliament. So the kind of the history of my family is that we were we're mostly Sephardic Jews. There's, um, I think there's some Ashkenazim in our family. 
Just interjecting quick to define some terms for listeners. Sephardic Jews are the Jews of Spain, Portugal, North Africa, and the Middle East and their descendants. Ashkenazim Jews are descended from Jews who immigrated from Germany and Eastern Europe in the mid-1800s and early 1900s. I kind of give the timeline. It's, it's yeah, a little sure. bit of a mess of timeline. Sure. Earliest of the timeline I know, my grandpa, my father's father was born in, are you ready? Yes. 1910. Oh my god. So he was born in Sofia, Bulgaria, um, in a in the Jewish quarter, and sometime I wanna say in the twenties. Uh that was the first time he went to what was then mandatory Palestine. Okay. And so it was a British colony at the time and there were groups in coming in from Europe. Yeah. Generally they were settling in like less populous areas so they weren't it wasn't like full Nakba yet where they were like kicking whole villages out it was primarily just like settling in different parts of like the mountains um i think it must have been in mandatory palestine when he was living there when because it was a it was a british colony or a yeah. british mandate and so there were british recruits there and so by the time world war ii started and british was participating um he was recruited to the army the British Army? British Army. Mm. Um, so he was a Jewish Bulgarian in the British Army, recruited oh. from Palestine, and then he oh. went to fight in Libya. He was captured by the Nazis in wow. Libya, and so they transported him to Greece. Um, and when he was in Greece, they had, um, they had all the soldiers in that camp um, march from Greece all the way north to Poland. So... Um, it was, I, I haven't heard, like, a lot of the details since I was young, but it always stuck with me because he was, like, wearing the same shoes for that whole walk. That, like, his shoes and clothes oh were God. dilapidated. It was winter. They yeah. were mostly starving, dying of thirst. Um, basically, people all around him were dying, but he survived. And then he got oh. put in a, kind of between Auschwitz and the Czech border, um, mm. there's a place called Lansinovica. Lansinovica? Lansinovica. I'm not sure how to say yeah, it because yeah. it's Polish, but... Um, and like this is like the telephone game, mm-hmm. um, but he was there for four years. Wow. Um, during that time, a Nazi prison guard actually took a rifle and butted his eye out. Um, oh so, for the rest of the, his life, he was wearing a glass eye. Um, and then in 1945, um, it was invaded by the Soviets, and the Red Army liberated him. Mm. Um, and so that's when he went to Palestine. In forty-five. Mm. it's possible he moved to Bulgaria for a short while after then because mm-hmm. um, I remember he had some uh, war um, he, had, he had some memorabilia from the war that was like awards that he won for surviving the Nazi camp wow. um, and so I, it was re- it was never really unclear to me the treatment that he got because he was a Jew and a very obvious Jew he was like very dark skinned he had a really big nose like <laughs> wow um <laughs> And he had, like, very dark hair. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really know if he got, like, any specific treatment because of that or if he was in a Jewish brigade. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that information might kind of be lost to history. But yeah. um, by 1946, he was back, or he was back in Palestine. Layla's grandmother was born in 1928 in Sofia, Bulgaria. In 1940, the Tripartite Pact had been signed, which led to an increase of Nazi activity in Bulgaria and Greece. This led to her family falling into poverty. 
she had to make art and sell it in order to help support her family. When she was only 15 years old in 1943, she left Bulgaria alone on a train with all girls, and she took that train to Palestine. She got off in the city of Atlit and then went to agricultural school in Rishon Litzion, which is where she met Leila's grandfather. But they were there for, during quite a few wars. They were there during the um, Independence War, which for the yeah. Palestinians was the Nakba. Yeah. Um, and then they were there for the you know, 1967 war, the 1973 war, all, all the um, intifadas. Yeah. Um, so. Well, so your dad was then born in Israel, and then yep. he, when did he come here? So uh, he was, um, when you turn 18, you have to join the um, army and do like yeah, the training. Conscription. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he did his uh, service for three years, um, and he tells me that he was the, one of the worst investments the army ever made. <laughs> um, and when he came out, he went to uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston uh, oh, to study okay, music. Okay. And then he met your mom at Berkeley. At Berkeley, mm-hmm. and then they moved here. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And then you came to be. So How true. beautiful. In your time as a student, like both here at the University of Minnesota and in high school, middle school. Uh, do you feel like your identity was represented in the curriculum, and do you also? Or did you feel comfortable having your identity known by your teachers and your classmates? I definitely feel like there was no teaching about Judaism in general. Oh, yeah. Um, I agree. You know, if anything, it was like a quick, like, slide at, like, some point in some history class. Um, it was. I feel like Judaism was always kind of an asterisk in our curriculum, but... Mm-hmm. You know, it, it makes sense because, like, you know, it's only, like, a very, a very small proportion of the world's population. Some, like, 16 million people in a world of 8 billion. Yeah. Um, and so, I feel like more so the only teaching we get about Judaism is from the perspective of Israel. And mm-hmm. outside of Israel, there is no, like, knowledge of Jews. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so it really makes sense that when there's a lot of um, criticism of Israel, and I'm also very critical of the state of Israel. Yes. Um, yeah. But a lot of that translates directly to anti-Semitism for some people, not in all cases, yeah. but for some people because those are the only examples of Judaism they've ever interacted with. Yeah, true. I That's mean, kind you... of all we've ever been taught is mm-hmm. like Jews have... I mean, it's obviously true that Jews have been like constantly persecuted, but like... I don't know, when you're only taught about that, you kind of, like, come to associate that with every time, like, there's an issue mm-hmm. regarding Judaism. Yeah, and it's, I'm glad you brought that up, because on the flip side of that token, there's also the the idea that Jews are always and will always be, like, the perfect and the, like, like the eternal victim. Mm. And so, like, even now, when... Tens of thousands of Gazans are dead. Yeah. You will still see most of the people in Israel that are acting out of a fear-based response. Because, you know, there's that's how they're brought up. I mean, they're yeah. brought up because, my like, oh, my parents escaped the Holocaust. Yeah. My parents was in Auschwitz. It's, yeah. it's a trauma response. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like 
as long as people have an idea of, of permanent oppressors and permanent victims, people can't really understand that the power that displacement has can make really anybody turn into like a victim. I've really come to see displacement as one of the worst things that can happen to large amounts of people. Yeah. Because we saw the horrible things that happened when Jews were exiled mm. and put into a different part of Europe. Mm -hmm. And then they were persecuted and put into Israel. Mm -hmm. um, but they just happened to have huge military power yeah. by the time they were there. And so they came to displace, I think it was like 750,000 Palestinians. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we talk about, like, what groups of people, what skin tone, what ethnicity is, like, troublemakers. Are these Jewish people victims or, or are they oppressors? Yeah. But I think it's a, more, a lot more personal thing. I mean, um, and I feel like once people have the courage to understand that it's not solely the identities that we see, but the identities of what has happened to someone in their life, can we understand, like, why is, are people taking advantage of this? Why would we want to take advantage of what seems to be an ethnic conflict in the Middle East? Mm -hmm. Is there a correct ethnicity or is there yeah. an opportunity for something bigger? And so I feel like I've come to, I initially was like, oh, the Jews should have Israel because that's how I was raised. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, the Jews conquered Israel. So Jews should go back to the lands they came from. Mm -hmm. But really, I feel like minimalizing displacement will reduce the amount of crime, the amount of terror, yeah. the amount of trauma that people will carry onto their children. Mm -hmm. You know, genocide is hairy. It's complicated. It, yeah. It's self-perpetuating. Yeah. You create a new generation of people that inherently hate another group of people, and they will do everything they have to, you know, keep their money, to keep their power, yeah. to keep themselves protected. to get protected. back at, mm -hmm. if they have the power, to get back at whoever did it to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that was something that um, my parents joked about a lot as a kid. It was like, oh, Israelis are the people of, uh, of revenge. It's, revenge is something that really can perpetuate when you grow up in a community of trauma. Oh, for sure. And so I feel like a lot of the genocides we do talk about are like, we only discuss it in numbers. We only talk about it in like the most graphic, horrifying ways. But, Not, like, psychologically, though. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, like, a lot of things that get passed on through parenting. Like, yeah. both of my grandparents' growth went through a lot of starvation and food insecurity during that period. Mm. So, as a result, my dad was growing up, um, he was very overfed, and he was forced yeah, yeah. by his parents. And they grew up on an orchard, and they were just surrounded by food, and he was, like, a little bit yeah. disgusted by it because he was, like, it almost felt like gluttonous, you know? Yeah. And so they're, they're just trying to avoid, obviously, what yeah, happened to them. because they, they wanted would never... to give him what they didn't have. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I even see that now because my dad isn't... I'm always yelling at him to keep going shopping because he doesn't yeah. keep very much food in his cupboards. He's, I mean, he's better yeah, about it now. Yeah, makes but... sense, though. And, like, a lot of that, to kind of tie back, is, like, I feel like a lot of that is passed down through religion. Like, from parents that raise their kids Absolutely. religious kind of carry all of the trauma that's like bounded together with religion through the generations. Mm -hmm. 
Is there anything that you wish people just kind of like were taught or just generally knew about secular Judaism or just Judaism or just religion as a whole? I think it's really important that there's um, that there's a distinction between um, ethnic Judaism and religious Judaism. I mean, there's a lot of other subsets of Jewish idea of Jewish Jewry, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people can convert to Judaism. There's um, conservative Judaism. Yeah. There's um, reform yeah. Judaism. There's uh, Orthodox Judaism, um, and a lot. So a lot of people in Israel practice differently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's also there's a lot of cu- culture that is deeper into Judaism that we know. I feel like we a lot of us get the Adam Sandler. Um, <laughs> Like I, I stereotype very hardly, but that I feel like that's the only like picture of Judaism that people have here. Yeah. People have like, either like, like the like the dosim that were ha- that have like the hats and the curls, yeah. and they only yeah. speak Yiddish, and they're always yeah. praying, or they're always doing some kind of pr- procession, mm-hmm. um, and they commit their entire life to scripture. Yeah. Or yeah. there's like the Upper East Side uh, or Brooklyn like. Um, like rich girl whose parents are Jewish and someday mm-hmm. she's going to make Aliyah to Israel. Yeah. And it's just, it's oh, all ex- heavily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I never, I didn't have a bar bat mitzvah. Um, mm. it wasn't something that we really did in our family. I like, we weren't, we didn't grow up filthy rich. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I also, because of that, I didn't collect, connect to a lot of the Jewish identity that was portrayed in media. True. Um, but I also didn't realize how much, so much of the non-religious aspects of Judaism were kind of destroyed by Israel. Really? Um, there was like when a lot of the Mizrahim, which is like the, it's like the designation for like Eastern mm. Jews, but it's basically like brown Jews. Like they, they the way they refer to like Iraqi Jews, Yemeni Jews, yeah. um, some from North Africa. Um, a lot of the Jews that were like so-called from Muslim lands, mm. um, usually Judeo-Arabic speaking, they had their own traditions and customs, and some of it stayed alive, okay. Um, but, you know, when they arrived in Israel, they were put into Ma'abot, which were like transit camps. And they were, um, basically, a lot of them were forced to give up their, their language. A lot of them were forced to give up a lot of their cultural practices. Mm-hmm. And actually, because of that, there was a Black Panther movement in Israel mm-hmm. called Hapantarim Hashorim, the Black Panthers. And up until the 70s, they were very critical of the government. They were anti-racist. Um, because of the racism that a lot of the white or like Ashkenazi Israelis um, were imposing against like his like Jewish people of color there um, because they were Arabs and they were like are you gonna betray us and be part of the the Palestinian terrorists or are you gonna join us Mm -hmm. and give up your Arab roots a lot of discrimination against immigrants from Africa which is a very ironic Mm -hmm. because Israel is immigrants there is no Israeli culture. It's just a mixing pot of 45,000 other cultures. Yeah. And so there's also a wave of like people being like, we don't want those filthy African Jews. And so, it, you know, it makes you wonder, like, are you really about Jewish homeland? Or are you about some yeah. kind of other, other idea that's important to Judaism? Yeah. But there's a lot of different intersectionalities. And, mm. you know, the way, like, racism... And religious persecution does not function at all in Israel similarly to how it works here. Mm, you know, because we really? do, do yeah. different histories. I mean, there's like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. have you heard that TikTok audio that's like, 
you, how come Jews are the white people and Palestinians get to be the black people? Because they're talking about how, like, there's also, like, an idea that, like, Israelis are, like, all these Europeans that uh. came and kicked all the dark-skinned Palestinians out, and they all get skin cancer. And there's some, there's some element of truth to that, but it's really not representative of, like, a huge portion of Israel. Yeah. And it really just, like, hurts everybody there because, you know, what are you going to do if you send all those, like, Jews back to Poland? Like, yeah. You know, it's 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 not going to help the situation. In fact, yeah. if you put Jews into another place, what will they do? If if you if you push millions of people into the same place at the same time, you're going to see probably exactly what has happened in Israel when the Nakba happened, or you're mm-hmm. going to see what happened in other places when when like for example during the Holocaust when Jewish boats were turned around from the U.S. because they wouldn't let the refugees in. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you create refugees, you create a burden somewhere. Mm -hmm. To wrap up our conversation today, I asked Layla if she or any other Jewish people she knows have experienced difficulties recently since anti-Semitism has been on the rise. I would say yes. Um, I... Always wear my Star of David. That's um, mm. something I always do. I'm not visibly Jew- Jewish. I don't... I mean, I, like, look kind of look Jewish to some people. Um, I don't wear any of, like, the things that you can, like, look at someone from, like, far away and be like, mm. oh, that's a Jew. Uh, the thing is, like, I remember shortly after, after October 7th, there was, um, I think Hamas declared, like, a, a day of jihad. Mm. And so that there was two I got two different sources of media for that so there was like my dad told me like be careful don't wear your star of david out just stay inside people are going to attack you and I was like what and I was actually at a palestine protest that day wearing my star of david um and what I heard um from like uh I'm on I'm on like some I I had like an announcement and I I, like read the actual like thing from Hamas um uh and it was about like doing like like about specifically about like doing like pro-palestine work or like doing Mm. work to support Mm. them um and so it was interesting how just like existing in the world you can easily connect those two things to draw the conclusion that if you're a zionist you're a jew and if you're a jew you're a zionist Mm. and if you're against any of those two you're against both of them yeah and so i feel like there's even someone that i follow now that um she she talks about that kind of stuff a lot and just the words Israel and the word Judaism are get they get flipped around a lot and it does a lot of harm to pro-Palestinian work that isn't anti-Semitic and it does a lot of harm to Jews that are anti-Zionist yeah and I think more like getting people actually educated about those fringe groups even if they're fringe groups but like groups of Jews that aren't Zionist which is growing faster than it ever has before yeah um and then there's the groups of like anti-Semitic Palestinians, there's groups of non-anti-Semitic Palestinians. Um, and I feel like if people acknowledge that they grew up, you know, in a context, you know, if the only Jew you've ever encountered was is driving a warplane around your head, you're going to be anti-Semitic. I'm yeah. sorry, like that's just going to happen. If the only Palestinian you've ever, um, if you ever encountered is flying a rocket over your head or the only like things you ever hear about Palestinians is that mm. you're probably going to hate Palestinians. Yeah. Whether or not you know a Palestinian. So the, 
I feel like people take advantage of those distances between things mm. and take liberties of being in America and having the luxury of, you know, having a lot more safety than you do in places in the Middle East. Um, when you actually live in this situation, you have to be a lot more delicate and understand. It's not as simple as believing in the right God. Yeah. Have you ever had people at, like, a protest or at something like that come up to you and ask you, like, why you're wearing a Star of David? Um, I've had journal- journalists um, ask me about it. Really? Um, whenever people see it and comment about it, it's almost always been very positive. Really? Um, I feel like Minneapolis is kind of special. Um, I can't say, speak for other cities, but I feel like there's a very heavy Jewish presence at a lot of the Palestine events here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we have... And like if not now we have Jewish voices for peace mm. um Jews for ceasefire stuff like that um um and so I feel like I've made more both Jewish friends and I made more Muslim friends since October 7th than I ever have before wow um, just through like participating in protests yeah <laughs> um kind of everything yeah um but there's definitely an idea that people of different religions can't live together and yeah. it's a very it's a very easy argument because they disagree on fundamentally important questions that affect everything. You know, like if you believe in God it changes how you're going to participate in the world It changes how you, what your rituals are. And so they're very fundamental things, mm. but the thing is a lot of their values are still the same. Do you have any last thoughts or any like book news, podcast, social media account recommendations for people that might want to, kind of dive deeper into stuff we've talked about today? That is such a good question. Um, Pull out your phone. I'll Go tr- for it. I will try to come up with some hashtagable stuff or whatever. <laughs> um, first of all, I think people of X religion and Y religion can never live together in peace is a lie. Yes. Um, that's always... There's always some contingent thing lying on it about um, someone taking advantage of people disagreeing with each other. Yeah. I think displacement is the devil i think anytime huge groups of people are displaced that burden is going to land on someone and it's never even and it's never democratic and it's never fair mm. i would say one really good source um is jewish voices for peace or sorry jewish voice for peace jewish voice for peace is it a social media yeah they have, they're on social media they're cool. um organizing a yeah. lot go make friends with as people of as many religions as you can yes i agree that's good advice also talk to people like have arguments have conversations like don't don't cut people off like have conversations yeah it's so important just to like have conversations like this because it's like how are we ever gonna how are we ever gonna make any change if we can't talk to each other about difficult things yeah be courageous literally you are courageous you are courageous (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you so much if you've made it to here. I'm grateful you took the time to listen to this podcast. Check the description for links to Layla's social media suggestions, and please reach out to me by email or Instagram if you'd like to be my next guest. See you next time on Talking Religion.